and welcome to Fresh Fusion, a weekly show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web, and the Fediverse. My name is Jared White, and this is episode 105. Sam Altman is gone. Er, back. (laughs) Well, it's been an interesting last few days in the world of generative AI. But before we get into all that, just a quick word that uh, this whole month, the whole month of December, December, (laughs) this will tell you how crazy it's been. I don't even know which month I'm in. The whole month of November this year uh, has been absolutely insane for me. Uh, Can't go into the personal details, but it's just been one family-related emergency after another and an ongoing saga. So, yeah, unfortunately, it will be a little bit more challenging than I would have expected otherwise uh, to, to do all of the things, all of the things, my friends, that I'm supposed to be doing in my career as a content creator, podcasts, newsletters, articles, marketing, all of that sort of thing. But... I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my very best to to keep the trains running uh, somewhat on time, perhaps just less frequently. <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, like craziest month since probably sometime during the the early days of the pandemic. That that's that's how insane it's been for me. Hopefully, you're having a little bit more relaxed November. Hopefully you're looking forward to some time over the holidays to to relax and recharge. I I hope I get that as well, but I may just be still catching up (laughs) with everything I have to do, so we'll see. But moving along to the topic at hand, Sam Altman will now return, apparently, and once again become OpenAI CEO. Uh, he was gone, then he went to Microsoft for a day, a couple days, and now he's back. So that's one hell of a ride. <laughs> Let me read you a little bit of this Reuters article here, uh, kind of with the, with the general gist of what seems to be true, like, as of the time of this recording, but who knows what may happen next. But here we go. Sam Altman, to return as OpenAI CEO after his tumultuous ouster. Sam Altman is returning as CEO of OpenAI just days after his ouster, capping frenzied discussions about the future of the startup at the center of an artificial intelligence boom. The ChatGPT maker also unveiled a new initial board with former Salesforce co-CEO Brett Taylor as chair and Larry Summers, former U.S. Treasury Secretary, and Adam DeAngelo as directors. D'Angelo was part of the original board that had dismissed Altman. The return of Altman could potentially usher in a new era for the startup, which had long juggled concerns among staff about AI's dangers and its potential for commercialization. And a little bit later on, it says here, Analysts said the reshuffle will favor Altman and Microsoft, which has pledged billions of dollars to the startup and is rolling out its technology to its customers globally. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella welcomed the changes. We believe this is a first essential step on a path to a more stable, well-informed, and effective governance, he said on X. 
Uh, and I'll read you uh, a few of the analyst statements that Reuters rounded up here. Danny Hewson, head of financial analysis AG Bell, says, it seems clear that Microsoft will now play a much bigger role, that the partnership will become stronger and the two companies more integrated. Apec Ozkardeskaya? Man, I'm sorry I'm butchering this person's name, but... IPEC analyst at Swiss Quote Bank says, his ousting, that is Sam Altman, his ousting upset to a point that company's existence was put into question. Now the outcome could be frustrating for Microsoft. Even though Microsoft benefits generously from ChatGPT's uprise, OpenAI remains a satellite unit, and integrating Altman in an internal MSFT team would have made sense. Susanna Streeter, head of money and markets at Hargreaves Lansdowne, says, While it's still unclear exactly what the tug-of-war prompting his initial department involved, Sam Altman's views about how to run the company will dominate future direction, especially given he'll be supervised under a new board. Anyway, it goes on. There will be links to both of these articles in the show notes, and I'm sure there's going to be a million words spilled, perhaps even some written by ChatGPT about this whole saga. But uh, yeah, so some folks are joking about, you know, oh, Sam came back to OpenAI much faster than Steve Jobs came back to Apple. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a mess. But uh, clearly, clearly what happened here is there was, there was a power struggle. And it seems like the power struggle was between folks at OpenAI that genuinely believe they should be a research group trying to usher in a new age of AGI, that is artificial general intelligence, and to do so, you know, in the sort of methodical, sciencey way that methodical, sciencey people typically like to do things, whereas another wing of the company, represented by Sam Altman, wants to run things like a Silicon Valley startup, move fast, maybe break some things, grow incredibly quickly, rake in the dough, <laughs> partner with huge companies like Microsoft and, and you know, roll out all of your technology into their products. So, so you get, you know, a million and one co-pilots, co-pilots everywhere. Microsoft Copilot for this, Microsoft Copilot for that. You won't even be able to trip over a button in a dialog box in a Microsoft product without stumbling upon a new Copilot. <laughs> you'll be you'll be trying to uh, you'll be trying to fix your monitor's screen refresh rate or something, and it'll be like <laughs> Control Panel Copilot here to assist you. <laughs> Let me know what you would like me to do to help you fix your monitor. You'll just be like, ah, I just want to change my refresh rate. Gosh, darn it. Oh, man. Copilots everywhere. This is the future of Microsoft, it seems. And OpenAI is powering all of that. So obviously the outcome of all this is it's even more clear to anyone who is wondering. OpenAI is an unofficial subsidiary of Microsoft, right? That, that's just how it is. Like, Microsoft is a large corporation, and while OpenAI technically isn't owned by Microsoft, it's owned by Microsoft. <laughs> and Sam Altman is essentially a proxy 
for what Satya Nadella wants now. It's only going to get more so in the future. OpenAI's cloud runs on Microsoft hardware at Azure, at Azure data centers, um, and OpenAI's technology is powering, you know, a million and one co-pilots now throughout all of these Microsoft products. Uh, so that's, that's how it is. It'll be interesting to see how other companies react to this. You know, one would assume that Google with Google Bard and Facebook and other companies will see their role even more to be to compete with Microsoft, right? Like they're not really competing with OpenAI so much as they're competing with Microsoft. So to the extent that Microsoft is integrating OpenAI into a million and one co-pilots everywhere, uh, other companies will be trying to do their own take on the, on the co-pilot concept. And I suppose if you're a huge fan of ChatGPT, if you're a huge fan of all of these generative AI products and experiences, um, this will be good news for you. Yay for the commercialization of this technology and the rollout of it in software products everywhere. <laughs> uh, but if you're like me, and you refuse to use any of these products on principle, you refuse to use any of these products for ethical, historical, and social reasons, if you are a neo-Luddite, as I am, with regards to generative AI, well then... I suppose this whole saga has ended on a down note. You know, if you were sort of hoping for the, the, the prevailing winds to be in the direction of, we got to slow down, we got to be more circumspect, we got to get back into the science of it all more than the commercialization of it all. You know, let's not move fast and maybe break things. <laughs> let's stop running this like a Silicon Valley startup, et cetera, et cetera. If, if you're on team that... Uh, this is all bad news. Sam, Sam Altman won this round at the end of the day. And the, the dramatically slow it all down crowd, whatever you want to call that, has not won the day. So yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not sure what other possible takeaway there might be here other than that, you know. The Silicon Valley ethos has won. As is evidenced by, you know, the, the type of board members that have come on board this new board. <laughs> That's a lot of boards. Um, Co-CEO of Salesforce. <laughs> I mean, that, that tells you everything, right? That tells you everything. Larry Summers. This is all about sales and finances and business. Big business. Microsoft wants OpenAI to be run like a big business that can be a de facto subsidiary of Microsoft. And that's, that's what they want. They don't want any of this, you know, they don't want any of this messy, sciencey stuff and people who don't have experience running large business enterprises. All of that is gone now, it seems. Uh, some breaking news here. I was just uh, perusing Feedbin to see if any other very recent uh, news had come out regarding this whole situation. And 9to5Mac is reporting that um, one interesting thing about this new board is that um, 
Altman nor um, his co-founder Brockman will be on the new board. Um, not sure yet what that means other than maybe it's a way to try to make the board appear a little bit more neutral. Um, there's also going to be an independent investigation into what the allegations were that were made against Altman and everything that happened later. Um, and then finally, you know, the overall corporate structure of OpenAI will remain. So um, it says here, you know, and, and we've all known this, but I'll, I'll just read what the article says. OpenAI has a very unusual corporate structure. There's a nonprofit wing and a commercial wing. That in itself is not unique. But in OpenAI's case, the board of the nonprofit actually controls the activities of the profit-making business. This is a very deliberate decision. The business side, led by Altman, naturally wants to push as far and as fast as possible. The board is there to serve as a break and a safety check, ensuring that AI doesn't get out of control. All right, so we've all known that OpenAI has this sort of structure. You know, it's not structured as a just a typical Silicon Valley style business. Uh, it does have this whole nonprofit wing and this board that essentially is connected to the nonprofit and the commercial the commercial business and the outcomes and the decisions there are under the purview of this board. So, you know, that that's a good thing, I would say, right? <laughs> it's better than the alternative. Um, but, you know, the, the way they conducted themselves with this just shock decision and nobody really knew why or what was going on puts this whole structure into question. So even though the structure is still there, it seems like, you know, if you can read the tea leaves here, everyone on the business side and certainly Microsoft is going to want to poke at this structure as best they can. They're going to want to maybe not dismantle it, maybe that's not possible, or maybe, you know, that would look bad, but they're going to want to diminish the control of the board and the nonprofit wing, and they're going to want to emphasize <laughs> the commercial wing and let that power through into this glorious new future. So we'll see how it goes. It one wonders if because of this structure and because of how everything is set up that we won't just be in this situation again in the near future, right? Maybe once again there will be a power struggle between the nonprofit side and the business side. Who knows? But probably in the near term, we will see some stability. And again, <laughs> all of this will be at Microsoft's beck and call. Because they have a huge investment in the company. I think I keep seeing the number 49% uh, stake in OpenAI at this point. Uh, huge investment. And Microsoft clearly wants OpenAI to be run more or less like a subsidiary of Microsoft. And I think Sam Altman is happy to, to do it like that. So, yeah, that's where we are. <laughs> All right, folks, I'll be wrapping up the main portion of the show here pretty soon, and then we'll have a bonus segment for the Fresh Fusion Plus subscribers. So if you're a Fresh Fusion Plus member, please stay on if you're listening to the Plus show. Uh, if you're not yet a Fresh Fusion Plus member, 
What are you waiting for? Head over to plus.intuitivefuture.com and sign up for a membership where you'll get uh, the full with bonus set of episodes of this show uh, every time we do the show, which is supposed to be every week. <laughs> and I'll do my best to, to get back on that schedule. But uh, yeah, like I said, November, insane, insane. But one can hope things settle down. Uh, anyway, uh, if, you, if you are a member of Fresh Vision Plus, thank you so much for your support. I really appreciate it. So before we get to that bonus segment, um, just want to say a little bit about um, the Apple announcement recently. Apple put out sort of a Halloween-themed presentation uh, right at the end of October to announce uh, a few new products. They certainly announced all of the new M3 chips, M3, M3 Pro, and M3 Max. Uh, kind of interesting that all of those chips rolled out simultaneously. I think that was the first time those three chips were all kind of of a piece. So so that was cool. Um, and then, of course, they need to announce the products that those chips go in, which mainly consisted of new MacBook Pros and new iMacs. Uh, it's cool. It's cool that the iMacs are updated with beefy processors, but uh, otherwise relatively untouched. So I don't know what that means, but... I think the iMac is certainly not a sort of pro enthusiast diehard Mac user kind of product anymore. It's it's a little bit more niche, you know, something that's you know, cool for schools, cool for businesses, cool for, you know, the kitchen table at somebody's house, you know. Something fun here and there when you want to a nice and expensive computer with a built-in display to to do to do Mac stuff, <laughs> um, but, but the real power users, the real enthusiasts, seem to be better served these days. Getting a desktop like a Mac Mini or a Mac Studio, or just consolidating around laptops. Um, I myself have been rocking a Mac Mini since since the first round of of M1 Macs came out. In fact. Unfortunately, I got the base level, and I mean base level M1 Mac Mini. So it has only 8 gigs of RAM, <laughs> only 256 gigs of disk space. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's a little bit tight in there. It's a tight squeeze to, to get stuff running and installed on here. And uh, the memory situation, you know, I have to keep an eye on how many different apps I have open at once. You know, if I only have a few things going on, it's fine. In fact, this computer, the reason I'm using it is because it was demonstrably faster and more streamlined to use than the beefy Intel-based MacBook Pro I had been using as a daily driver before that. You know, I originally got this sort of as a test. I got this M1 Mac Mini as a test, sort of like, oh, maybe, maybe it could be a little home server and I can kind of dip my toes into the waters of the new Apple Silicon era without spending a lot of money. Well, <laughs> as soon as I got to use it just a little bit, I realized, wow, M1 is fantastic. And all I want to do is use an M1 and, you know, so on and so forth until the end of time <laughs> or whatever. Like, I'm on board. I'm on board Apple Silicon. 
So yeah, so I switched to M1 Mac Mini and use that as my daily driver. And my only mobile computer is actually an iPad Pro. Uh, so more on that some other time, maybe. I've talked about it a lot on Mastodon. But anyway, all that to say, um, I'm looking at these new MacBook Pros, and wow, I think I've been bit by the Mac laptop bug again. Wasn't sure that would happen, but I got a chance to try out the new Space Black MacBook Pros at an Apple store just recently, and they are sweet. They are sweet. So, yeah, I'm really eyeing a 14-inch MacBook Pro. I like that size. The, the larger size is not for me. I had the 16-inch Intel MacBook Pro, and that thing was a boat anchor. <laughs> uh, you know, not compared to laptops of old, of course, like, you know, old laptops that were really super thick and super heavy or, you know, just bonkers by today's standards. But but even these new ones that are 16-inch, it's it's just too much computer for me, uh, especially if I want to sling it in my backpack along with my iPad Pro, right? Like if I want to bring a MacBook Pro and an iPad Pro, which I do, um, I don't want the laptop to be too big and too heavy. So that 14-inch size really seems right. It really seems right to me. So yeah, I've been eyeing it. Um, maybe... In an episode or two, I'll be able to report back on on how that's going. But I really think Apple hit it out of the park with these. You know, the the design of the computers was already good. This new space black color is really nice. And the M3 processors, the M3 Pro and M3 Max in particular, um, just seem incredible. And it's kind of astounding that we've had yet another large and significant performance increase in just this short amount of time, right? Like they came out with M1 and all of the M1 line and everyone was like, whoa, this is amazing. And then they came out with the M2 line and it was a big improvement, like pretty substantial. And now they've come out with M3 and it's another big improvement, pretty substantial. And that's kind of unheard of in recent memory, right? Like they originally got from PowerPC to Intel back in what what was that? Like 2005 maybe. And that was a big leap forward. And it, and that seemed really great for a while there cuz Intel was firing on all cylinders. But but over time like the gains trickled to a crawl. And in some respects the way Apple had to design things around, you know, the the heat issues or the power issues or this or that, like there were some really weird and compromised products. It was not a good time that that tail end of the of the Intel era, especially during all that butterfly keyboard stuff in the laptops like that was not a good era to be a Mac fan. That that was really that was really a depressing time. <laughs> totally different now. Totally different now. It's a great time to be a Mac fan. Like, the Mac hardware right now is so good. So good. Wow. All right, well, uh, enough fanboying, nerding out over Apple. Um, I think it's time to wrap up this episode of Fresh Fusion. Again, stick around for the Fresh Fusion Plus segment if you are a Fresh Fusion Plus member. Otherwise, thank you so much for tuning in. As always, you can go to jaredwhite.com to catch up on past episodes of this show. 
as well as contact me, uh, look at other stuff I've written, follow me on Mastodon, GitHub, if that's your thing, all the places. And uh, yeah, we've got a, certainly got a few more opportunities to put out an episode before the big holiday break at the end of the year. So stay tuned. And until next time, folks, bye-bye.